Hello and welcome to Reformed Podmatics, a weekly podcast hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. This podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology both in our context and beyond. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Zach. And I'm Pastor Mark. And we are excited to be joined this morning by a longtime listener, first-time caller. <laughs> <laughs> Although he's not calling, he is live here in the, in the flesh in the flesh with us uh, in our... We could call this a studio. It's not yeah. really actually a studio at all. It's my office. <laughs> uh, but his name is Lucas Geiger. Hello, Lucas. Hello. Uh, Lucas is the, let me get this right, youth director yes, sir. at Escalon Christian Reformed Church, which is about 20 or so minutes from here in Ripon. And so we decided, we've just both met Lucas within the last few months. He's new to town. Him and his wife, Juliana, have moved back to, well, yeah, back to Escalon yes, uh, and are starting out with ministry to the students of Escalon, particularly middle school and high school, right? And college age. And college, yes. okay. Um, and so you guys came from, you were living last where? It's the Spokane, okay. Washington Spokane, area. Spokane, Washington. Washington. Um, mm-hmm. So they're back here in the Central Valley. Juliana is from Escalon. Yes. Um, she grew up in Escalon Christian Reformed Church. Yeah. So she's home. She is home, yeah. And so, yeah, we're excited to have Lucas on with us today just because we're going to be talking about some youth ministry stuff again. And it occurs to me that we have had a conversation uh, about a year or so ago, maybe a little over Mm. a year, with Lucas's predecessor, uh, (laughs) Pastor Patrick Anthony, who is now now the lead pastor of Emmanuel Christian Reformed Church here in Ripon. Uh, And so today we're going to be differentiating from that episode a little bit by talking specifically about middle school ministry, uh, because it is a unique uh, time in a child's life. Uh, And so, yeah, I think I can just start by saying middle school is unique because of the transitionary stage that that children are at. Uh, It's it's a time where they're growing between the sort of uh, innocence of childhood and they're moving into adolescence. And so I often think of middle schoolers um, sort of like the dogs we've all seen who are, their, their bodies are huge, but they <laughs> haven't quite learned how to live in those big bodies, and so they're still <laughs> figuring things out. And that's a lot of uh, middle school life. And I, I don't know about you guys, but my middle school experience was very fraught with mm. f- wanting to feel like I was fitting in. It was particularly painful uh, years for me in many ways. I, I had a good middle school experience, but I always was... Tr- trying to be the mm-hmm. cool kid and that for me meant being really athletic being really funny and actually getting really good good grades at my school it was a cool thing to be a, an excellent student mm. um, that's good and it was a good thing it was good pressure to have i guess um, i was always in all of those categories kind of not quite at the top i was mm. there i was more athletic than than others uh, i was probably getting better grades than others, but I wasn't quite at the, the upper echelon where I wanted to be, and so... They were training I always you felt, for real life. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so it was it was good years, but it was difficult years, and I, I, I often try to reflect on what it was like um, as a middle schooler myself, as I minister to middle schoolers. Uh, so what are your guys' experience with middle school ministry? Uh, Mark... You have a middle schooler in your house. Yeah, yeah we do now. It's, it's, we're <laughs> and, in year two of middle school. Yeah. All right. And Lucas <laughs> has been with middle school for a couple of years now. Tell us, actually, first, let's back up. Tell us about your your background and what sure. you have been doing before you even started at Escalon this year. Sure, yeah. Um, well, I, I grew up uh, in a very distinctly not Reformed setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, came into Same reform here. ministry. Join the club. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> seems like the the youth pastors around here tend to come in that <laughs> yeah, way. Yeah, there's something I know to that. Pastor Patrick was like that as well, mm. uh, and uh, didn't really have any introduction to reformed ministry until I met my wife, hmm. and we were uh, uh, started our relationship. In fact, probably our most intense arguments are around reformed theology, <laughs> which now I you know I'm totally totally on her side with it. Uh, mm. 
But she's won. <laughs> yes, <laughs> she has won. Well, the Lord won. I'll, I'll say it that way. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but about about in 2018, uh, well, let me back up just a little bit. Sure. For, for a while, uh, we were sensing that God was calling us to ministry and hmm. um, was laid on our heart pretty heavily, and we loved it. We were doing, in fact, I was volunteering with Pastor Patrick in the middle school youth group and the <laughs> high school youth group. Hmm. Uh, did some interning with him, and uh, I was mem- a member of Escalon CRC in 2016-17. Hmm. Did interning with him then. And then in 2018, we were called into ministry, full-time ministry with Village Missions, which is a ministry that places pastors in a rural context, typically, and and Mm. typically in a church that can't afford to have a pastor. But if that church dies, then there's no Bible preaching church Mm. within an hour of that community. So Mm. if there is a Bible preaching church, Village Missions won't pick up that church. Mm. They'll actually let it die because there's another church Mm -hmm. in the area. And that's just not to so that they don't spread their their ministry too, too thin. Hmm. Um, but I, I joined them as an intern pastor, did that for about a year and a half. Wow. Um, as far as my functionality in the church, I was, I was essentially an associate pastor with okay. that church, did a lot of preaching, and, and that was with the intention of moving out into a, a lead pastor role. Hmm. Um, and so... In, <laughs> Six weeks before COVID shut down, <laughs> we moved. We were moved to uh, Cheney, Washington, up near Spokane, uh, to Four Lakes Community Church up there, and I became the the senior pastor of that church. Uh, was that then supposed to be just for a short season, or were you kind of kind of planning to go and stay there? Well, it's they were hoping I would stay there, okay. um, and uh, you know it always comes down to what the Lord is guiding us to. And yeah. at the time, we were planning to stay there for a while. Okay. Um, there's a lot that I could say oh, about yeah. that whole. Yeah. I mean, that would take up a couple. <laughs> I just didn't know if it was interim yeah. or if it was like no. It was and, yeah, yeah. It was it was uh, accepting the call there, and uh, but it, Village Mission works a little differently. And again, I don't want to yeah. get into it too much, but. Hmm. Um, yeah, so we went up there. We were there for two and a half years, and then in Ju- June first, we started here. That was a so, humbling, difficult, wonderful experience. Mm. Right we during did, COVID, too. Right during COVID, oh, yeah. yeah. Did did a televangelism uh, you know, <laughs> ministry for a couple weeks there. That's one way of putting it. All of us became televangelists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were really blessed, though. The community we we're in is it's small. The churches. It's about 45 people, and so we were only shut down for about 10 weeks, mm-hmm. and then we're able to be right back into service. for mm-hmm. the. Ra- we never shut down again, except for when we actually had an outbreak of COVID in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a lot more that we could ask about that, because it, it does sound oh, man. really interesting. It's a weird way to get into youth ministry, <laughs> I'll tell you that. Yeah, it's not a normal way. Well, yeah, that's, so that leads to my question. If you were doing lead pastor stuff and associate pastor stuff, what's been your involvement? It sounds like you've had sure. some with middle school ministry yeah. over the years. Yeah, and being, I was the only pastor at the church we were at, so uh, we had actually a pretty heavy uh, presence of middle school and high school kids. Um, and the church was about 45, you about said? About 45, but none of those okay. kids came to our church. Oh, okay. it was, they were not, okay. their parents mm-hmm. weren't involved with the church. It was actually an Awana program that had, mm-hmm. we had about 45 people in the church and then like 90 kids in the Awana program. Oh, wow. Yeah, an unbelievably successful Awana program and really uh, wonderful, gifted leaders who loved <laughs> these children. And we, Awana program typically goes up until I think fifth grade or so. Mm. And, uh, it's kind of like the gems or cadets for yes. any CRC listeners who yes. might not be familiar yeah. with it. It's <laughs> yes. Virtually right. the same thing. Yeah. Very similar, yeah. And uh, we, they were doing it for middle school and high school, but they were continuing hmm. with the Awana curriculum when I got there. And it just wasn't challenging for, hmm. for middle school or high school. It wasn't really calling them to think critically or how to apply their faith and right. uh, really how to transition into a, a being a an adult and a Christian. And so we, we took that and turned it into an, a more traditional youth group mm-hmm. and did that for, we participated in the Awana program for the first year. And then the second year we did that transition, mm-hmm. which was very good. It, mm-hmm. it was really wonderful. I think the kids, kids uh, grew a lot in that. So 
I'm hoping that's continuing there. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, that's really awesome. I remember my days of doing Awana. I had good times earning my badges and yeah. being a cubby and a sparky or whatever <laughs> the different rate levels are as you go. Um, yeah, good memories. Well, of, and it's, of doing it's all interesting that. in hearing your your process there of shifting from Awana to a regular youth group, and I think that'll probably be a theme in this episode, which is hmm. the the challenge of shifting children from childlike thinking like which is what the bible says we should do mm-hmm. into uh into more mature thinking yeah. and so uh that, that was kind of one of the big uh motivators even of this episode is to say can yeah. we really expect middle schoolers to think about theology um maybe we don't always use that term as theology for a particularly sixth grader but um I guess that's that's where we want to go, and, and obviously the the question assumes the answer is yes, um, <laughs> and so uh, hopefully we can. I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts about how this actually looks on the ground level, because as mm-hmm. a as a pastor who is not at youth group, um, particularly for middle schoolers, I'm always wondering um, what does this look like to impart reform doctrine to sixth, seventh, and eighth mm-hmm. graders. Um, I don't know, are, are there best practices or are there, maybe even before we get to that, why would we even try? Mm. Yeah, why would we even try? Well, I think the, the answer yeah. I would give is we must. Yes, sir. <laughs> we must try. Yeah. Uh, we're biblically commanded to do so, to pass the faith on from yeah. one generation to the next um, and to give them our best and to expect the most out of them. Um, so what does it look like? It's a, it's a great question. I, th- I think in many ways I'm still figuring that out. I've been here for five years and I'm still tweaking things and, and learning things about what works and what doesn't work so well. Um, but as I said, middle schoolers are at that stage where they're beginning to be able to think more deeply. Um, for any parents who might be listening to this, it's maybe helpful for you to know that one of the most important and foundational things I've ever come across in my years of doing youth ministry. Actually, I came across this article before I started at Ammon Valley. It was in a magazine called Table Talk Magazine, which is Ligonier Ministries magazine. Mm. And I think I read this particular article. It was probably 2012 or 2013. It was by Stephen Nichols, who's one of the sort of the teaching fellows for Ligonier. And it was an article about Flannery O'Connor. Uh, Flannery O'Connor is the great Southern Gothic author um, of, I believe, the 20th century. Mm -hmm. Um, I've not read a whole lot of her work. Um, I did read one of her stories in college. Um, She was a Catholic, um, which is not really germane, I guess, to my point here. There was a discussion he talks about in this article at her, um, I think it was in her community at the school, the, the local elementary school about what should be the curriculum that kids read. And there was a big push amongst some people in this community to do away with reading the English classics and to start reading more modern books that kids were already interested in themselves. Harry Potter type. Yeah. Maybe not Harry Potter, but well, yeah, popular. Yeah. For that time, yeah. it would have been yeah. something maybe akin to Harry Potter. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, and she had a big issue with this, hmm. according to how Nichols paints this story. Um, and she pushed back a lot on this. And one of her big points was that we should not let kids be forming their own tastes, but we should be forming their tastes. Um, which, that will sound extremely controversial, especially <laughs> in the 21st century. Yeah. Um, it's far more controversial now than it would have been yeah. in her day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or far more. <laughs> yeah. And so she... she made the case that we really need to be shooting intentionally above their heads. We need to be trying to put things way out of, way over their heads so that they begin to have to reach up and grasp it. Uh, she said that we don't, we shouldn't just stoop down to their level and give them things that they just naturally like as little kids. She was talking about elementary school. Um, but we should aim high and mm-hmm. expect great things and cause them to have to stretch uh, their intellectual abilities and that has always stuck with me, yeah. that, that little article from Table Talk magazine. Hmm. Um, 
and that informs a lot of how I do youth ministry. I do things that I know the kids may not fully grasp mm. this yet. Um, I want them to. I want to make it as comprehensible as possible, and that's a unique feature of middle school youth ministry, right? If I think if you can teach something to middle schoolers, you can teach it to anybody. And if you can't teach it to middle schoolers, you probably don't know it well enough. And so that's been a constant struggle for me of trying to take hmm. large concepts mm-hmm. and actually explain them in a way that makes sense to a middle sure. schooler. Yeah. That's a really good practice for me who uh, I'm often just in my head thinking about interesting theological concepts. Uh mm-hmm. If I can't explain it to a middle schooler and explain why it's important, yeah, then I probably haven't thought through it enough. Um, that's just one of my thoughts to to ministry. How would you answer that question? Sure. Yeah, my my mind always goes back to Ephesians chapter four, where mm-hmm. Paul's talking about how we're to grow up in the faith and not be yeah. tossed about by every wind of doctrine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, I think that applies to any stage of life you're in. You're never done growing up in the faith, but you're also never too young to grow up in the faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a... And he's specifically talking about how the church has been gifted with certain leaders to do that mm-hmm. uh, and assist in that. And so I think that's a that's one of the mandates that we have as youth ministry leaders or... Or and that's for pastors, but also for for the church as well, for lay leaders, and hmm. and we, we are called to to grow these these kids up in the faith. And I actually heard the same thing from Stephen Nichols. He does a, a podcast hmm. called Five Minutes oh, yeah. in Church History. I yeah. think it's what's called. Sure. Wonderful podcast, very it easy is. to listen to. It's only only about five minutes each time. And we try not to talk about competitors on our oh, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. <laughs> No, sorry. Fair enough. <laughs> sorry to interrupt, but to your point. Yeah. <laughs> no, I and I, I think about that often. I think about it in terms of I'm always wanting to be calling the the Christian man and the Christian woman out of these 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 yeah. kids because our goal mm-hmm. is to grow them up in the faith to not for them to not stay as a child and not mm-hmm. stay as a young Christian or a immature Christian or at least progressing in their sanctification and their knowledge of Christ and so in, in those terms I I like to always think about. Yeah. Um, what will grow them up? And it's not talking down to them. It's not, mm. you know, trying to necessarily meet their level, but call them into mm-hmm. onto a higher level, but doing that in a... And I, I appreciate what you said. It's difficult for mm-hmm. these middle schoolers. It's difficult because, yeah, they're, they're not necessarily grasping in, in a way that maybe even our brains grasp things because mm-hmm. their brains work differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also their attention spans sometimes are so small. It's like... We have a, a small window to really mm-hmm. maybe maybe uh, help them grasp some of these things. So it is a challenge. I think it pushes us yeah. in, in ways that are really good for even seasoned pastors to be pushed. And yeah, stuff like that. I, I often think about what I'm doing as I'll use this analogy of laying down kindling. Mm. I'm trying to get the kindling in place because eventually yeah. I want that kindling to catch on fire. Um, I think that's the experience of a lot of kids who grow up in church and who go to youth group, uh, particularly kids who come from Christian families, but this can be true for other kids as well, where they're always sort of learning these things. They have a weekly routine of familiarity with the Bible, whether they're reading it at home and reading it at church, or maybe just reading it at church. That might be the case for some of the kids. I hope it's in the home as well. Um, But they sort of have this rhythm of learning scripture, learning these stories, learning these ideas or concepts. Uh, and it may not really make sense to them until eventually it starts to click. And often this this happens in late high school or in college, uh, where these things that they've always learned really begin to make sense. And they really begin to see the importance and the value of all of this. Um, this can happen in middle school. Uh, but very often as life begins to uh, go on, as they begin to mature, they see how this all makes sense, and that kindling starts to light on fire. Yeah. And so that's, that's, that's often an encouragement even to myself that maybe I'm not always seeing these kids having incredible life-transforming experiences uh, where they're weeping or crying. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that uh, will happen. It's rare, but it can happen. Um, and even though, but even those experiences aren't everything. Mm-hmm. I, I want to see yeah. lifelong yeah. discipleship and faithfulness. Yeah. And so, I think a lot about what I'm doing, and I think that I'm hoping that I'm I'm sort of paving the way 
for a a life of faithfulness to Christ. Um, and that's really my, my main hope. And so sometimes parents may think, I often wonder if parents, when they hear what I'm teaching mm-hmm. about at youth group, if they think, oh, that's not useful for my kid. My mm. kid does not need to know that. Mm. My kid needs to know how to deal with his feelings being mm. hurt. He needs to know yeah. how to respect his parents. Respond needs, to a bully. Yeah, yeah he needs yeah. to know how to respond to a bully. Moral yet, therapeutic deism. <laughs> and I think, okay, those things have their place, sure. But yeah. as somebody who has been charged with training your kid in the Christian faith with discipling them. I respectfully disagree with some <laughs> of that more, uh, yeah, moralistic therapeutic deism or just the sort of, uh, felt needs mm-hmm. that parents have. Like, Oh, my kid really just needs to learn, uh, to, to know that she's really beautiful and pretty, you know, mm. no parent has ever said that to me, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes <laughs> I wonder if parents think that my, sure. my teaching is, is kind of, pointless mm. um and maybe it doesn't have immediate value now but if me, immediate value now is not what i'm going after well there is i lots of thoughts come to mind as you guys share and um one kind of theme that i'm seeing is we're not just trying to impart facts and doctrines to young people we're trying to impart to them that doctrine matters Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, and so th- there are the actual yeah. doctrines themselves in the Apostles' Creed, and there's the Ten Commandments, and there's the Lord's Prayer. But even more important, it might sound strange to say, is the hunger for knowledge. Mm. And so, I, I think that's what makes a distinctly reformed mm. youth ministry actually is mm. is to say, uh, and and not just knowledge in the again in the factual sense, but but wisdom and a way of living and a way of thinking about even God himself and relating to God is to know God and Mm -hmm. to be known by God and to know the word of God. And so uh, we say a lot, Zach and I, in our conversations, more is caught than taught. And I think that what's being caught by our young people um, in Zach's youth ministry and hopefully also in our worship, including in my preaching, is we can really know God mm-hmm. and it is vast knowledge that we access through the word of God. And there's so much, we we're connected to a church. We're connected to uh, the, the, the Holy Catholic church, um, mm-hmm. to great theologians who like um, my, my daughters started to ask more about John Calvin and Herman Bovink because I, I just mm-hmm. mentioned their names and uh, you know, it's not so much that I care that she understands the structure of the reform dogmatics, <laughs> but that she would be aware. There's somebody who wrote something a yeah. hundred years ago that I should know about yeah. mm-hmm. or 500 years ago in Calvin's case. It, it's just, um, it's an, an ethos we talk a lot about on the podcast too. Yeah. It's a sense of a sensibility that they're growing up into something huge and vast and amazing and, yeah. and, um, yeah, that comes through the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed, but that bigger thing that they're catching is a desire to know God, really, yeah. for themselves. Yeah, they're a part of this incredible story yeah. that that is yeah. rooted in incredible histories. I mean, yep. I, I, unfortunately, I think a lot of uh, ministry has almost become reductive in nature uh, in the last... Yeah. In, in my limited knowledge of church history, but... Uh, a lot of students don't grow up hearing about these incredible men and women who went out and uh, were burned at the stake because yeah. they weren't weren't willing to to recant or all these uh, incredible stories that they are now a part of. Mm-hmm. And uh, yep. that's and, something. And, and that's so ironic, though, because we're told by so many youth ministry gurus, story, story yeah. matters, and the the inference there is often their the kids' story matters yeah. or. Um, connecting Harry Potter to the gospel matters, or where's the gospel in Stranger Things, or you know what I mean? Like, and and that's sort of what they mean when they say story sure. matters. But I, I hear, and I completely agree with what you're saying, Lucas. Is Perpetua and Felicity's stories matter? Yeah, yeah. And and their martyrdom matters and so much more incredible than Harry right. Potter and Monica and Augustine and Aquinas and like. Uh, Francis of Assisi, it's like, to me, 
you know, it's not the most important thing for them to just learn church history, but I think when they would hear Francis Bernadone, you know, uh, rejects the wealth of his father, takes mm. on a vow of poverty, mm. starts a m- movement in 13th century a Europe, movement, a, a reform movement, yeah. a revival. People are f- coming from all over the world to come and listen to this guy in this little town. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that's that's revival. That's cool. That's that's interesting. And, you know, at the same time, they're learning piety and they're learning yeah. um, what it looks like to sacrificially take up your cross and follow Christ. And, and so... To, to me, that gets to that story hunger that kids have, and and I think that kids actually can can attach to that pretty yeah. strongly. Absolutely. So yeah, that's why I, one of the lessons I did <laughs> was church history with with my kids. Another thing that parents may have been like, "You're teaching our, at youth group church history." I, I maybe, no parents ever gave me that question. I should say, <laughs> but I kind of wonder in, in the back of my mind, yeah, like right. most parents probably don't expect their youth p- group to be talking about sure. figures from church yeah. history. We did a biography series where I did uh, figures from that, throughout church history, and each week I would talk about one pre-Reformation person and one Reformation or post-Reformation person, usually that were sort of thematically connected. So I did one on reformers of the church, Athanasius mm-hmm. and Martin Luther. Um, I did one on, um, I think it was on justice and mercy, and so I talked about Basil of Caesarea, okay. who was an anti-slavery proponent in the 4th century, um, and mm. William Wilberforce. Sure. Um, so things like that. And so teaching these kids these these great stories, that's absolutely yeah. important, I think. Now, the difficulty that I, I find in that is also balancing it with, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, Zach, is... Um, most of these kids' stories are going to be ordinary Christian yeah. lives, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and that's incredible and mm-hmm. wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like your parents' stories matter, and your the 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 janitor who's been volunteering at your church for twenty years and never was married, that guy matters, and his mm-hmm. story is a part of this wonderful Christian heritage that yeah. we have. Yeah, yeah, and I hear your that's... point is we don't want to glorify the spectacular too much among particularly kids mm-hmm. who aren't feeling very spectacular yeah. in, uh-huh. in seventh and eighth grade. Um, yeah, it's that it's that balance of where do you fit in God's really grand, really big story, um, but not in a seeker kind of way of like we're just going to tailor the whole story to you. It's it's almost the opposite. We're going to call you out of. Um, sort of a normal life in some sense and into more of a kingdom life yeah. which has sort of hmm. an invisible glory so often yeah um and and so uh i think it's 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 laudable right this this effort towards calling kids into something and mm. and even as we talk about this i, I just think of how countercultural this is in the evangelical cultural sense that um, the typical understanding of youth group is stuff your face with marshmallows and and you know uh, do 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 crazy things with maybe uh, Jesus loves me kind of message mm. right um, but but what I hear you guys saying is we can uh, we can expect kids to reach a little higher yeah. you know um, which which is really cool and I guess I would want to ask how does this connect in your guys' minds to the family and and the school. I mean, mm-hmm. we we minister in contexts where there is overwhelming support for Christian school. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you guys see? Um, I don't know. Do, do you connect with parents regarding regular discipleship that's happening, or, or what, what does that look like uh, as well? The, the three-legged stool, as we often call yeah. about, the, the church home and school. Mm. Yeah. I can start. I could say I think this is an area where I can do more work. Um, I've I've tried over the years to get in contact with parents, and I've had a lot of difficulty with it. And so, being in constant contact with parents about what they're doing in the in the home, I I don't really know very well. And so, the ideal, the hope is that these three things are working yeah. in tandem. Right. Yeah. That that much is true. Um, and it's I sort of assume a lot about about these kids home lives because yeah the vast majority of the students that we have here at Ammon Valley in our youth groups uh, are Ripon Christian kids not all of them go to our church but if they go to Ripon Christian that means that they on paper have a church that they go to whether or not they Mm -hmm. 
faithfully attend is is a different question sometimes. Um, but they are growing up in professing Christian homes, and they're going to Christian school. And so I often will think about the interplay of youth group and Christian school mm. um, and how those can work in tandem. Uh, I, I think of youth group and Christian school. In Christian school, you're, you're, you're learning a lot of concepts, at least I hope, in your Bible classes and in your other classes. And I hope that in middle school, you're seeing how these are beginning to make sense in your life, uh, and you're beginning to live out the Christian faith in community and in fellowship with other other kids, where you're talking with them about what's going on in your life, what's going on in your heart, uh, things that you're struggling with. Um, and so this is an area I can think more about. I'll, I'll say that. What, what, what yeah. would you say? Well, well, I would agree. I think it's always an area we can mm. we can think more about, and uh, it almost feels like a well, it, from from my perspective, you know, it's being new. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I haven't had an opportunity, um, a tremendous opportunity to connect with the parents. Although we did have, with our high school youth group, we did we do do a parent night each mm-hmm. year, parent information night, and and um, I, I think you know one of the things that I tried to really communicate is we do want to engage in a partnership mm-hmm. as we disciple your student. I always want to make sure parents understand mm-hmm. that we are not the primary disciplers of their student. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it it starts in the home. Them as parents, they need to they need to take charge and, and be the ones that disciple their students. Now I recognize that that doesn't always play out that way necessarily. Um especially if a student's coming uh, on their own and their yeah. parents aren't believers and yeah. Of course, we want to work hard with them. Last year in the youth group that I had, just the nature of it, we we had 15 or so students, and none of them went to our church. Hmm. And so unfortunately with that, it was very difficult to connect with the parents. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of them viewed youth group as free babysitting night, mm-hmm. and maybe a lot of parents in, in our, our context now do as well. Um, so that, that was tough and always kind of heartbreaking. It's, mm. Because uh, I always, always wanted to connect with those parents yeah. and partner with them in, in discipling their student instead of it just being a separate entity where they bring it on a Thursday night. But um, uh, so, like you said, I, I think that's something that w- I can do a lot more thinking on, and hmm. we we are trying. Um, I, I think historically in Escalancierci, they've done a pretty good job of really working with the parents to try to get them into the youth group and see what's going on. Mm -hmm. We do um, a lot of fun nights where we try to maybe even get into a a family's home. Last night we were at the Dugos house for our kickoff night, Mm -hmm. and that allows the Dugos, the Dugo Mm -hmm. family, to serve the youth group and Mm -hmm. see a little bit and partner with it. But um, Yeah, getting things out of the church building, yeah. something as simple as that, and yeah. into the house of a family who sees these kids and yeah. sees it's a vibrant ministry, sees that you know fun is a part of youth group. Well, that that's a part well, of we, it too. We get yep. into a lot of in, unintentional teaching at yeah. that point. You know, the the kids are seeing hospitality. Yeah. They're seeing that the the family had to uh, mow the lawn in 116 <laughs> degrees. Yeah, so, yeah. Or at least I you know I don't know yeah, if they what noticed that, but <laughs> yeah, uh, and they're seeing. Uh, leaders come out, uh, take a night off after harvesting all mm-hmm. for th- yeah. five weeks straight, take a night to not spend with their family, but spend loving the, the family of Christ. Right. And uh, so I think that's that's wo- a wonderful aspect of that. But And then I, I do think that it's... W- ideally, we want to see, or at least I, I think it's an ideal setup to, to have the church... The, mm-hmm. the the family and the Christian school and having kind of that three point of discipleship. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not convinced when people tell me, well, I don't want to shelter my student because once they get out of high school, <laughs> then they're going to go out and try to experience it all. Uh, I'm not convinced by that logic. I think we should protect our kids as long as we can have them yeah. uh, and then walk through some of that with them as they are in our home. Hmm. I don't want them to go to school and have sexual ethics preached at them and then I have no control over how we deal with that. Hmm. Um, but with that said, I grew up in public school. Yeah, same here. Um, 
Zach did, Pastor Patrick did. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, in fact, we have. You the, can go through public school and still come out a Christian. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it can happen. And there, yep. there oh, can yeah. be good things. Um, I do think it's getting harder to. It's different now, though. Yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, there is much more emphasis on this the sexual ethic, and, mm-hmm. and there's a lot less control you as a parent have in public schools these days. Now, with yeah. that said, I mean, I think you have different school districts. You're going to have different levels of yeah. control and stuff like that, depending on the the principal and the the authorities that be. So, I will say all this is inspiring me to to maybe pick this back up, even in my own ministry. Mark, you asked this well, question, and it makes me think. Yeah, it's something I can do better at, and that's a good thing. And and anybody who's listening who has middle school children yeah. or, uh, hey, um, pick up the catechism or pick up a study Bible or mm-hmm. even a, a picture Bible, you know. Yeah. Um, and um, I, I think of something I once heard from a pastor is uh, somebody asked him, how are you going to convince your 18-year-old not to go see really bad rated R movies, hmm. you know? And um, it's kind of a moralist, again, it fades back into that moralistic sure. therapeutic deism. It's like, how are you going to convince them to not want to go and do bad things, essentially? And and basically his answer was, my whole training for her as she's been growing up is to not desire rated R movies, hmm. right? And so when you become 18... Why would I even want to go see yeah. that horror movie that's just yeah. full of gore and mm-hmm. language, yeah. you know? And and so, I, I think that's that's a little bit of what uh, the three-legged stool functions sure. to do. Not in the just the moralistic sense, but in maybe even a theological sense. Again, I, I revert back to the earlier statement about a desire to know God, a desire to be pure, yeah. a yeah. desire to um, to follow the way of Christ. Um, you know, that's not just like a question that an 18 year old is going to be answered in front of church, but hopefully it's a lifestyle they're seeing at home. It's modeled for them at a, it could be at a public school through uh, a Christian fellowship group that some students mm-hmm. have um, hmm. uh, before school Bible study, right? Um, and, yeah. and then, of course, it would be happening at school and so, or at, at church as well. Um, and so, uh, again, the thought isn't how are we going to fix a moral issue, but how are we going to train up a child yeah. in the way it should go so that the moral issue actually isn't even that much yeah. of a question when they turn yeah. 18? How are we going to shape their desires and their yeah. loves exactly. yeah, well, like, and, I, and their tastes? Jamie Smith's. I, th- yeah. I think with moralism, w- what you're really saying is to be good, you have to do without. And I think with yeah. what mm. we're trying to teach is actually there's something better. There's virtue. It's not doing without. It's something better. Yeah. Yeah. We're offering you something even more, yeah. something yeah. greater. You're actually settling for something less. Yeah, that's the old C.S. Lewis, yes. Lewis adage about, what does he say, about settling for mud, pli- mud pies in the slums yeah. when you could have sandcastles of the sea. Um, yeah, that's, that's a lot of, I think, youth ministry summed up. What I'm trying to say is there's something better and far more satisfying in this yeah. world. Mm. That's God. Is yeah. the triune Lord of all things, yeah. and He will satisfy your hearts more than anything else. You can you can test my, out my theory, yeah. kids, <laughs> yeah. go for it. But well, I, I, I want I'm, you to love Him more than anything else. I'm kind of toying with the idea. In I have my sermons planned for 2022, but for 2023, I think I'd like to do a series on adventure. Okay. Hmm. So just like what what is sort of the romance, the adventure, the excitement, the zeal of a Christian life look like. Okay. Um, because, and so somebody might hear the title of this podcast, you know, middle school, theology for middle schoolers, and think that does not sound like adventure. <laughs> it's the opposite of adventure. But but I, I think actually in the Reformed sense, in the Bavinkian sense, maybe, mm. if that's a word even, um, is is there there or Martin Lloyd Jones talks about sort of the most romantic thing in the whole world is the gospel. It's it's this exciting call to yeah. a full life of exploration and the un, going into unknown with, with faith, you know, with Christ, hmm. you know, with you all along the way. Sort of the the Abrahamic call to a new land. Um, yeah, promise. The the it's very romantic. The, the way you know go go into a new way. Um, uh, be a new creation, right? It's all, there's just an adventure to that. Hmm. And so when we talk about um, Augustine or um, William Wilberforce, there's a lot of adventure in William Wilbur- hmm. Wilberforce's life. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and to me, 
that that speaks to the middle schooler probably in a pretty special way. Yeah. Um, is is not just a call to no facts, but a call to live with God, and that's a yeah. like yeah, you know Romans eleven. Wow, how how searchable, unsearchable his judgment and his paths beyond tracing out. That's exciting yeah. to me, um, and hopefully the kids catch in catch up on that too. Yeah. Yeah. One one final question. I think we can kind of land the plane with here is when thinking about middle school ministry in particular high school ministry we can do another day perhaps but (laughs) when it comes to middle schoolers what would we say sort of as a round table here what are things they absolutely Hmm. must learn Hmm. and they must leave middle school youth group ministry having learned and become familiar with so for me i've been doing this now for five years i've come up with my sort of theory here and mark's already hinted at it throughout the episode um Mm. but it's the it's the same sort of formula that our own heidelberg catechism follows Uh, and it's the apostles creed the ten commandments and the lord's prayer and so if my middle school parents are listening to this they will know hopefully i've put it in emails uh, that we're going through the apostles creed this semester um and the reason for this threefold formula for me is that I think the Christian faith is not just doctrines, it's not just ethics, and it's not just piety or our prayer, our spirituality, our prayer lives. It's all three of these things combined. To be a well-formed Christian, you must be somebody who knows the truth, somebody who lives out the truth, and somebody who loves the truth. Mm. Amen. Um, and so these three things in the wisdom of the church have become ways of teaching in summary form Christian belief through the Apostles' Creed. This is what all Christians everywhere have believed throughout basically all time. The Apostles' Creed has its roots all the way back to the second century, although it wasn't, doesn't come into its full form really until the fourth or fifth century. But the Ten Commandments, Christians have always been teaching the Ten Commandments to one another. Um, and then the Lord's Prayer, how to pray, how to love and know and and commune with God through prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think middle schoolers are particularly at a time in their life when they can begin to think about things on this level. A lot of Christian kids in, in church and in school or in the home, when they're young, the way that their brain works, they can they can really understand a Christian story, a Bible story. Um, or a story of a Christian person, like a saint or what have you. Um, But these three things, the creed, the commandments, and the Lord's Prayer, are a little bit more intellectual, but they're still quite simple, Mm -hmm. all of them. Mm -hmm. And they're actually very memorizable. Mm -hmm. I think most of us have the Apostles' Creed and the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer Mm -hmm. memorized, or at least we're very familiar with it. Yeah. Um, And that is an ideal thing. And so... The creed teaches basic Christian belief. Ten Commandments teach Christian ethics, how we ought to live in this world. And the Lord's Prayer teaches us piety. What might be some other things, if you can think of anything, that you would say a middle schooler should graduate eighth grade, really at least having some basic knowledge of of this? Is there anything else we would add? I think there should be. There's more. Don't get a tattoo. <laughs> no, yeah, that. No. Back to the moralism. <laughs> Anyways, Lucas, a much you would offer a much better answer. That's funny because I have a tattoo. <laughs> no, uh, no it's funny. I was reading yeah. your your show notes. Yeah, I was thinking, I don't know if I have anything to add to this. This is great. I'm going to copy what Zach's doing. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think those. I think that system works really well. And of course, you we have middle schoolers for three years, and then we have high mm-hmm. schoolers for four years, seven in total. So I think it is important to ask the question: um, What do they need to know in those times? Yeah. And, and middle school is very distinct, and then high school is very distinct, and you get some overlap with eighth graders depending on how mature they are yep. and what they can handle. So, um, but I I think. That system works very well. Um, I would want to see, before they get to high school, I, I would want to s- make sure that they have a, a pretty general, well understanding of um, kind of the broad scope of, of the, the biblical narrative. Hmm. Um, just because we're interacting with a lot of concepts that really need them to, yeah. to have some foundational understanding. Probably 
a New Testament, Old Testament 101 type of understanding. Mm-hmm. No, nothing too deep. I'm not going to expect them to know what's in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 or anything. Like yeah, that. yeah. Um, but I would want to see them have, have that. In fact, that's what our series is on starting on September 19th. Uh, is kind of a, an, an Old Testament 101. What nice. are the big highlights of of the Old Testament? And then how does how does Christ work his way through that? Mm-hmm. And then w- what do you have to do with that? Like what is what is this? And part of that, my goal in that is I do want to see them. Ideally, when they get into freshman, I would love to see them very excited about this story that they're a part of. Mm-hmm. I want them to love Scripture and. And um, now being new, again, the context that I came from is very different where we had very unchurched kids who yeah. really didn't have, they didn't go to, most of them, some of them went to Christian school, most of them didn't, uh, didn't grow up. A lot of them had unbelieving parents. And so their Bible knowledge was very slim. And in fact, last year we really went back to the basics. Mm-hmm. What does it even mean to be saved? Because some of them yeah. uh, were very influenced by Roman Catholic hmm. uh, belief and hmm and performance-based salvation. Um, and so coming into this year, it's, it'll be interesting being new, mm-hmm. and uh, I think getting through the first one or two years to actually get a feel for what these kids, uh, mm-hmm. wh- where their level is at, just in a general sense, biblically and stuff like that. Most of my kids are from a Christian school. I'm trying to think of my middle school. I might have purely... Christian school kids. My high school, we have yeah. we have a decent amount of uh, public school kids, but yeah. So Lucas, is, for anybody who's listening, Lucas, as we said at the beginning, is about twenty minutes from here. So those yeah. your, your kids who are Christian school kids, that's all RC, RC. Ripon Christian. Yeah. yeah, there are different Christian schools in the Modesto area, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, RC. yeah, and, and maybe for those who aren't around here, Ripon Christian is. Uh, as a school, I think two thirds of the student body are attending Reformed churches. Yeah, and that so um, right. I, I want to say one third is First Church and Escalon. Actually, okay. if I saw the numbers, and oh, wow. so there are other Reformed churches in the area, yeah. um, but two thirds of the student body are attending, which is about what seventy five kids per grade mm-hmm. um, are attending um, local churches. Uh, so. That, that we are a very atypical context. Yeah. I know that yeah. even many of the other Christian schools in, in California, throughout the United States, um, even those that are very strongly supported by local Reformed churches, don't even come close to mm. that percentage of having two-thirds mm. of the student body in Reformed churches. Yeah. Um, I want to say it's typically closer to about 30 or 40%. Yeah. So, And I think that poses really unique positives yeah but yeah. also some some challenges oh as for well. sure for sure mm-hmm. yeah uh, which would probably take up a whole nother episode yeah sure <laughs> uh, yeah. we've done one on christian school yeah uh, but uh, uh, to answer your question i would i would want to students to know a lot about jesus christ and amen. so hmm. to to um to consider the the glory of the incarnation the uh, his amazing hmm. life and teaching and and uh, the centrality of his humiliation at the cross and his exaltation through the, the resurrection, right? Yeah. And so to get the story of Jesus, like uh, sort of Lucas, you uh, hinted at that with hearing Old Testament stories and figuring out how they connect to Christ, right? The, the road yeah. to Emmaus kind of connection there, how yeah, the right, whole scriptures right. pointed to him. Um, I would say that would be something that I, even as I have a seventh grade daughter, um and and we're thinking about forming her faith um it's got to be centered on Christ yeah, and the person of yeah. Christ and um that she would have a relationship with him directly through the spirit um mm. that that would be it's kind of the first thing, of course, that you'd want to yeah. to impart. So absolutely, um, I, 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 I'm assuming, of course, that that's right there. Uh, well, and and it, it connects fits in to, with the creed in my mind and yeah, the Lord's prayer. Sure, sure. Well, most yeah. maybe of the it's, creed. Yeah, maybe it's good. We could, we could, we're kind of workshopping here. I kind of yeah. like this. I know. I, I, I it's was, good. I'm, I'm going to learn some things. the beginning, I'm probably going to learn more than anybody else. Mark is our resident parent, so we get to yeah. ask him <laughs> questions. <laughs> well, and, and most of the creed is about the work of Christ. And and so you yeah. have in the catechism most, uh, the, the largest portion of the Q&A yeah. is, yeah. is about Christ, um, the, the incarnation, his work, his death, his resurrection, and ascension, and, and coming judgment. And so... Um, 
I, I like thinking about, again, the structure of the Catechism. You mentioned how it, it gives us the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and the Ten Commandments, but um, more, even more broadly than that, it's sin, salvation, service. Yep, right? And so we could think of that also as a middle school mm-hmm. structure yeah. that um, kids, you are sinners. Um, let's talk about that yeah. pretty openly. Middle schoolers can start to do that. Yeah. Oh, boy, I'm a, I lied, you know, uh, or I cheated, um, or I mm-hmm. stole. And then salvation, of course, in Christ, and n- how now shall we live? You know, uh, yeah. that would be the question I would hope a sixth, seventh, or eighth grader is starting to ask. I mentioned in my youth group last year that we are predisposed to hate God and hate our neighbors. Yeah, there it is. And, uh, Q&A too. They were unprepared yeah. to hear that. That's all they, they went home and told, hey, hey, mom, guess what? We hate God and we hate our neighbors. Yeah. I was like, well, you didn't hear about the the grace that I preached shortly after that, but okay. Right, yeah, yeah, Lord's Day too. No, I think that's important, though. I like the idea of doing what you said, doing the five solas um, with with the young kids. Uh, I've done it with high schoolers before. I don't think I've ever done a five solas series, but that's a really good way of getting at salvation, and that includes, within the five solas, you have, I think, you can make an argument for sin, salvation, and... How did you put it? Service. Service. Yeah. I've heard guilt, grace, gratitude as yep. the threefold yeah. breakdown of the catechism. There's different ways of, of explaining that. Uh, but yeah, or maybe I'm thinking as I hear you say, middle schoolers should know Jesus. Amen. I'm thinking in my mind, in our, uh, should we do John, the Gospel of John? <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> sure, yeah. that's what I'm doing in my high school youth group okay. this year. We're doing the I Am statements oh, yeah. and oh, really cool. asking the question, well, what is who does Jesus say he is? I mean, mm. we have lots of teachers who tell us who Jesus is, yep. but who did Jesus say he was? And, Amen. and I, th- I mm. thought maybe I should just do the same thing for the the middle schoolers. Mm. But yeah, so I've done it before. Yeah, yeah. Good. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> there have been I years have where I've now, done so. the same messages, just little tweaks for yeah. high school and middle school. Well, oh. I mean, if it works, it works. It's like you yeah. know, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. So sure. Um, just to answer your question a little bit, also more practically, what comes to mind is I do, by the time they're done with um, middle school, I do want to see them be able to engage a little bit more in a, in a small group setting, mm-hmm. um, have kind of the fundamentals of, we do listen, we do mm-hmm. we don't mess around, and uh, <laughs> we do have fun, but we also want to be able to talk seriously and, yeah. Yeah. and um, begin to be prepared for that type of stuff and um, so that's a little bit, uh, you know, not theological, but more practical. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah. I want to see them, s- by the time they get into eighth grade, they need to be ready to, or ninth grade, they need to be ready to sit through a whole lesson. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've uh, been in youth groups where <laughs> all of a sudden they're just standing, you know, these seventh graders are just standing up. They're not even going to the bathroom. They're just walking You're around. Just yeah, we have that sometimes. Like, what, what are you doing up? <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of so-and-so, please sit down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm talking, please sit. Hey, there, there's theological uh, teaching happening even in that, right? Yeah. Of of saying, uh, you know, it's, it's revelation is occurring. It's time to to listen and and submit to that. But, um, but no, I maybe my uh, my final thought, I guess, is that if anybody's listening, there are resources. We've referred a lot to oh, the catechism. Yeah. If you're a parent, um, man, that catechism is very basic, very helpful for training children up in uh, in the knowledge of the Lord, and so. Thank you, Lucas, for joining us. Yeah, uh, thanks for, for your me. great contributions. And um, hopefully uh, this has been a blessing to listeners, not just if you have middle school children or know of middle school you know, kids in your church, but uh, this is a question for all Christians. Uh, we, we need to be growing in our knowledge of the Lord. And so uh, um, hopefully that is your reason for even for listening to Reformed Podmatics and that we could benefit you on your journey. So thank you for listening, and we will... Catch you next week. Grace and peace, you guys.